we'd like to welcome you back to part two of our emergency freedom alerts for May 24th, 2021. Continuing on, just from the last week, the religion of peace atrocity of the week, because they've got one for every week because there's so many um, uh, atrocities committed by Islam on a daily basis across the world that this whole website called thereligionofpeace.com documents it. In, in as much as they can possibly try, because there's probably more that they miss that they, they don't even know about because, you know, Islam will go in there and slaughter a village or whatever and there's nobody to tell the tale, you know, other than the Muslims and they're not going to paint themselves in a bad light most of the time. So this is just from the last week. Religion of, the, religion of Peace, Atrocity of the Week because they've got one for every week. In Burkina Faso, which I believe is in Africa, 15 Christians murdered at a baptism. How do you like that? at a baptism last may and then you you can click on the um link there to see the whole report then in last may 58 people including children were killed within 24 hours in three separate attacks by armed islamic militants who were targeting christians as well the uk-based aid agency barnabas fund reported at the time i don't give to barnabas fund anymore that was one of the charities i donated to but they're working they were working heavily with, I believe, the UN on the COVID-19 agenda. And I, I let them have it. I sent them all kind of, and they never responded to me one time. All they did is kept sending me literature. I said, you realize this is what you're aligned with. All the stuff on like just the whole agenda no response so i want to give them a dime anyway now coincidentally and this was uh, this was the atrocity of the week this burka facino 15 christians murdered coincidentally on the same day in 2017 may 22nd 2017 to be exact in manchester england a muslim suicide bomber goes off at a pop concert remember that was the one where ariana grande was singing and she went off stage and then 22 people were killed. Yeah, there's a link to that as well. This is just a couple. There's so many. I mean, can you imagine if Christians were even committing one one hundredth of the atrocities that Islam commits? You would never, ever hear the end of it, ever. That's what I'm trying to point out, is the double standard, the hypocrisy of this subject. Now for some more perspective, okay? Israel is a Jewish nation one one nineteenth the size of California and is one of the smallest nations on the face of the earth. With only 8,000 square miles of land mass, it is roughly only two times the size of our smallest state, Rhode Island. I remember like when I lived in um, Fort Myers, the county that I lived in, Lee County, was a big county. And I think it was like I think it was actually bigger or almost as big as all of Rhode Island. I mean, it was it's how small Rhode Island is. It's only is Israel's only roughly two times the size of Rhode Island. Israel is 260 miles at its longest, has a 112 mile coastline, is 60 miles at its widest, and three to nine miles at its narrowest. The nation of Israel is surrounded by 22 hostile Arab Islamic dictatorships that are 640 times her size, 
and 60 times her population. I'm trying to give you perspective. Does that mean I think Israel can do no wrong? You've heard me in the last two years call out Israel. But this is also valid, what I'm giving you here. These are also facts. 60 times, and it may be a lot more than that now. I don't know. 22 hostile nations surround her that are 640 times her size. Not 640%. 640 times. That's only 64,000% more. 64,000% more. In landmass. And 60 times her population. Arab propagandists call Israel expansionist. Now, I'm not saying they don't have their tentacles in other wars. Okay? I'm not saying that. But as far as expansionists, I'm talking about, oh, they want to... They gave Gaza to them in 95. What, what was the reward? Hundreds of thousands of rockets fired into Israel since then from the Gazan Strip. And then, not to mention all the other areas they rockets come in from other countries. That's how they got rewarded. Every time they gave up land for peace, land for peace, more and more, all they did is move their rockets in closer. There is no truth to the statement as Israel occupies one-sixth of just one percent of the lands called Arab. But why is it everybody's always screaming about Israel giving up more land and how they're this horrible expansionist and dude, they only occupy one sixth of one percent of the lands called Arab and they're expansionist. At the time of this writing, there are only 13 million Jews in the world almost 5 million fewer than were there in 1939. I don't know if that's accurate now, but at the time of this writing it was. And 300 million Arabs and 1.4 billion Muslims. I think it's 1.5 now. So they're, they're outnumbered beyond belief, in other words. Again, I'm just trying to give us some more perspective. Now, which leads me to, I said all that to say this. Warning, this is the next part. Chuck Baldwin now teaches rep replacement theology and preterism. We're going to describe exactly what both of those things are. And he does not believe in regathered Israel. Plus a Bible study. So here we go. And this was from, I think, now the end, now, now the end begins. I, uh, I've got a lot of mixed feelings about them. Every time you read an article from them, it's just shoving and shoving and shoving pre-trib, pre-trib, pre-trib down your throat. Sorry, my speaker fell off. I apologize. Um, now, I don't do that. I've done a study on pre-trib versus post-trib. And I don't care if you're pre-trib, mid-trib, pre-wrath, post-trib, whatever. That's your prerogative. I'm not going to let it be something where I don't fellowship with somebody or communicate with them because they believe differently. Okay. Um, but it's so obnoxious in the way they 
are always shoving that down your throat when you try to read any articles. And they are. They even call themselves Christian Zionists. Now the end begins. Okay. Uh, I'm not a Christian Zionist. I'm not going to just automatically support Israel in whatever they do if, they, if they're doing something wicked and evil. Okay. I'm not going to do that ever. I will call out evil when I see it, whether it's coming from Islam or whether it's coming from Israel, because I'm trying to have balance. I'm trying to be fair, truly being fair and balanced, like Fox News claims to be. I'm trying, not saying I'm always succeeding, but this was a rebuttal to them. Now I added a ton of scripture that they should have added. Evidently, maybe they weren't aware of it. I don't know. But when I was reading this report, I'm like, well, what about that Bible verse? What about that Bible verse? They just pop it in my head because I believe it's the Holy Spirit bringing those things like the Bible, like Jesus said, when I go, I'll send a comforter. And he's basically going to remind you of, you know, what you need to be reminded of. Now I'm paraphrasing. And particularly in the word of God. So I added a lot to this report, Bible-wise. This was their response to when they found out that um, Chuck Baldwin was teaching replacement theology and, um, I believe, preterism. They said, hey, Chuck, when you read this article, why don't you repent of your anti-Semitic newfound philosophy and go back to praying for the Jews and for the nation of Israel and that the Bible declares is God's holy land? The Jews that you hate so much are getting ready to go through the greatest time of tribulation this world has ever seen. Now, he's saying it's just the Jews because he's totally pre-trib. Now, hope he's right, okay? But, meaning no Christians are going to go through that. It's just going to be the Jews, okay? I, I, I'm saying that because I want you to understand where they're writing from. Whether you agree with it or not, I'm just saying. That's, that's the perspective. That's why he's wording it that way. Anyway, and two-thirds of them are going to die in the tribulation. Now, I added that part in because it's real obvious. I'm going to give you why I said that in a second. Is that not enough for you, Chuck? Meaning, is it not enough for you to know that two-thirds of them are going to die in the tribulation? But see, he doesn't even acknowledge the occupants of Israel as being Jews or anything. They're just, to him, they're some kind of satanic imposter. And because everything was fulfilled in 70 A.D., which is what he believes, according to preterism. All the things in Revelation and Daniel were fulfilled in 70 AD. I know it's, it sounds like a joke, and it really is a joke, but that's what he believes. Therefore, nothing going on in modern-day Israel today has any biblical bearing. That is how deluded Chuck Baldwin is, and those that believe like him, and there's a lot that do. And they're leading many astray through their false heretical doctrine. Because uh, that's not something that, that I, I view that as a very major doctrinal issue. You, you, it's one thing to disagree on when, when the rapture is. Listen, I'm cool with that. But man, this is a whole other story. If you're, if you're saying Israel's not even... I mean, there's so many things that you cannot explain then in the Bible if they've already been fulfilled in 70 AD, which is what preterism teaches. It's insanity, if you ask me. You would never come to that conclusion on your own if you just had a Bible. You would have to have somebody brainwashing you to think that way. And I feel fortunate, again, I 
I kind of stayed away from a lot of that stuff. I just kind of tried to really stick with the Word of God. So is that not enough for you, Chuck, that two-thirds of them are going to die in the tribulation? Of course, he doesn't acknowledge that they're real anyway. Now, where do I get these things? Zechariah 13.8, regarding the end times, when Jesus Christ comes back at the end of the tribulation, and this is regarding specifically addressing the Jews, the Israelites, whatever you want to call them. Zechariah 13, 8, and it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die in Israel. But the third shall be left therein. Now, the next verse gives us clarity on that. And I will bring the third part through the fire, and I will refine them as silver is refined. Well, that's what, when you go through the fire, it refines you. It burns off the dross on the silver, which are the impurities. And I will try them as gold is tried, and they shall call on my name, and I will hear them. Because, see, they hadn't called upon his name up until that point. They had been deceived by the Antichrist. They welcomed him as their awaited Messiah and Savior. And it wasn't up until probably near the end of the tribulation they finally got their eyes opened and are going to call upon his name. And that was only through much tribulation that they got their eyes opened because they, were, they had to go through the fire to get their eyes opened. And they shall call on my name and I will hear them and I will say it is my people and they shall say the Lord is my God. That's when Israel will finally collectively get their eyes opened. Now I'm going to expand on this. Jeremiah 37 through 9. I almost found this by accident last night. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble. Oh, you mean the, la the last three and a half years of the tribulation? Yeah. That's the time of Jacob's trouble. <clears throat> but he shall be saved out of it. Meaning it's predicting the Jews, okay, are going to be saved out of it. The ones that are still living, that one-third remnant that go through the fire and get their eyes open and call upon the name of the Lord, he shall be saved out of it. Out of what? The time of Jacob's trouble. I'm sure I read that verse before, but I mean, it was like a thunderbolt. I read it last night. I'm like, oh, wow. Whoa, praise the Lord. There's more confirmation right there. For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off his thy neck, and I will burst thy bonds, and the strangers shall no more serve themselves of him, but they shall serve the Lord their God, and, and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. Remember, David's still here. Dave, David's in heaven, okay? But he's going to play a major role in the millennium. Now, let's go back to Zechariah 12, verses 2 and 3. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about, and they shall uh, be a siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And this is near the end of the tribulation. And in that day, I will make Jerusalem a, bur a burdensome stone for all the people. And all and isn't it that already? I mean, look at all the turmoil. Look at what just happened on the Temple Mount. Why is it always Jerusalem that seems to be the center? Well, the Bible predicted it. 
I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. I mean, there's so much evidence of that. That's just more biblical confirmation. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces. Like all these devil Muslims trying to, saying they're going to wipe out Israel and they're going to take over Jerusalem and all this stuff. Now, I'm not saying Israel's not going to go through a lot of stuff in the meantime. But ultimately, they shall be cut to pieces. Though all the people of the earth shall be gathered against it. What? You mean like in the Battle of Armageddon? Yeah. Yeah. Then let's jump to verse 8. Zechariah 12, verse 8. In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David, and the house of David shall be as God. <laughs> I want to see what that's like. Wow. As the angel of the Lord before them. So that implies supernatural strength being imparted to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, those that are on the side of God um, in those last days. Next verse. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Battle of Armageddon. Next verse. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. Now get this. And they shall look upon me whom, whom they have pierced. This is Old Testament, guys. This is Zechariah. They shall look upon me whom they've pierced. Oh, you mean Jesus Christ? When they pierced his feet and his hands? Yeah. And the spear went into a side from the Roman centurion? Yeah. The one whom they've pierced. See, they did it. They put him on the cross. They said, crucify Jesus, give us Barabbas, let him, meaning Jesus' blood, be upon us and our children's children. And this is why they've been under a perpetual curse ever since then. And they kind of will be until this point in the Bible, which is near the end of the tribulation, when they finally get their eyes open. Because right now, they're getting ready to, to, to welcome in their... their uh, coming awaited who they think to be their savior, but it's the Antichrist. That's how deluded they are now. I hope this makes the Bible come alive to you. Because this excites me. I mean, this is like, this is, this is such a cool Bible study. I think. I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I'm biased. But um, it's not that it's me. It's just the Bible verses. They're amazing. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn because they're going to realize they crucified their savior back in well i mean whatever 33 ad or whatever yeah when they crucified jesus and they're finally going to get the memo Finally, collectively, the one-third that are alive. In that day, there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem. And that's why God's going to go defend them. Because they're going to finally be his. They're going to go through the fire. They're going to be tried as silver is tried and gold is tried. And then they're going to get their eyes collectively opened and they're going to call on my name, it says, and I will hear them, and I will say, it is my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. Zechariah 13.9. Pretty awesome stuff, if you ask me. Let's go further. Doesn't matter. 
they're we're to not even acknowledge them in today's day and age the church has replaced everything all of this is boulder dash oh really really okay um and i'm gonna get into that more but let's just give you a little romans 11 25 through 28 for i would not brethren that you should be ignorant of this mystery lest you should be wise in your own conceits that blindness in part why does it say in part because there's not we can't say no jews are saved i mean the apostles were all saved and they were saving a whole bunch of other people and it was primarily directed to the jews for a lot of their ministries and then it was then they went to the gentiles primarily but there were still jews saved so it's in part okay blindness in part has happened to the to israel until the fullness of the gentiles come in and it appears that the fullness of the gentiles coming in is going to happen near sometime in the second half of the tribulation according to what we read in Zechariah, because they're not going to get their eyes open till the end. Now, that's up for debate. Whatever. That gets in a big-time argument with pre-trib post. Whatever. I'm just telling you, it's the way I read it. Then the next verse. And so all Israel shall be saved. When? When the fullness of the Gentiles come in. Well, when is that? Well, according to what I just read you, it's in Zechariah 13, 8 and 9, and also Zechariah um, uh, 12, 10. When do their eyes get collectively open? Well, it says, They shall look upon me whom they pierce. They shall mourn for him as one that mourneth for his only begotten, for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. So it appears to me it occurs near the end of the tribulation. That's when they get their eyes opened. Romans eleven twenty six, And so all Israel shall be saved. The one-third remnant that's left will be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer. Well, who's coming to defend Jerusalem? Who's coming at the battle of Armageddon? Jesus Christ on the white horse with his remnant. Sion the Deliverer, capitalized S, the Deliverer, meaning Jesus Christ, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. Which again is, from what I can see, near the end of the tribulation. As concerning the gospel, meaning the Jews, and this is in Romans 11, 28, as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. Now again, all the stuff I've reported on. Just look at the last two years. All the wickedness that the Jews, and I'm not saying you're just everyday rank and file Jews, but I'm talking about the, the synagogue of Satan ones in particular. All the, the, the really wicked evil rabbis and all their, their evil, wicked, sick, hidden agendas and how they want to wipe out all the... I mean, they, 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 are, they are hell-bent on wiping out the white races. I'm sorry. That's out of their own mouths. They want to breed us out of, out of, out of existence, the white races. They really want to breed all races out of existence other than the Jews. They want blacks to be with whites and whites to be with black. That seems to be their particular 
MO. And I'm sorry, you oh, that's racist. It's not racist. Turn on the TV. The commercials, the movies, everywhere you see that dynamic going on. And then you have their own quotes out of their own mouth saying, "Yes, yes, we we are going to destroy the white races. We are going to flood Europe and we're going to flood America and we're going to do all these things. We're, we're going to either kill you or we're going to rape your white women and we're going to bring about the inevitable brown future." out of their own mouths. Again, you can call me racist all day long. That's out of their mouth. That's what they say. Boldly, I've played you their quotes before. So that's why it says, as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. Now, get, granted, those synagogue of Satan Jews are evil, wicked devils from the pits of hell, and they're not gonna get saved. They're gonna be two thirds that die. I mean, come on. But as touching the election, they're beloved for the Father's sake. Oh, how do you explain that, Chuck Baldwin? Well, it doesn't matter because we're the Jews now, I guess. We're replacing them. We're replacement theology Christians. Oh, you like British Israeliism, where you believe like the different tribes of British and they're the Jews now? Or, well, why don't we just get into black Hebrew Israelites, where Oh, the black nations believe that they're different tribes of the nation of Israel. I mean, how insane can you be? Again, if all you had was a Bible, would you ever come to any of those insane asinine conclusions on your own? No, you would not. You have to have some person brainwashing you into that cultic ideology in order for you to go there in your head. Now remember, the Bible says, if ye be Christ's, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise, where there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free. So God doesn't see it like, oh, they're the special chosen race. If ye be Christ, then ye be Abraham's seed. Abraham was the father of the Jewish nations and heirs according to the promise. So I don't like, a, a lot of Christians get like jealous and stuff over the Jews, or they view them, oh, you're so much better. I've played you the clips. The Christian Zionist people, oh, they don't even need to get saved. The Jews, they're just saved because the, the blood that flows through their veins. Just even have a Jew in my church, I'm just so, I've played you the clips, it's insanity. God is no respecter of persons. But the Bible does say, as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. So we don't hate them. They're, en they're unfortunately, for the most part, they're enemies concerning the gospel, it says. But God still has a place in his heart for them. And that's why a third of them are going to get saved at the end. And we should pray for them. And we should pray for the peace of Jerusalem. This is a really hard subject because you see all the wicked stuff I've reported on. With the Kabbalistic practicing Zionist Jews that want to destroy really all non-Jewish races, but in particular the white races. And all the wicked evil stuff they do with Hollywood, so much stuff. And all, I mean, so much of the stuff I reported on with Trump, how he's commingled and tied in with this. It's very hard to keep perspective and to not let yourself go into like this hatred. 
But hopefully what I'm giving you today is some perspective so you can do that very thing. So I hope it will be an encouragement. Now, going back to this report, all the turmoil that Chuck Baldwin says proves says proves regather Israel is a fraud because that's what he teaches. Is actual proof that God that it's God's hand actually doing it. Why? Because that's how the Bible said it would be in the last days. Some of you may be shocked to see Chuck Baldwin's name mentioned here, and rightly so. I thought he was a Bible believer. I mean, he's like pro-Second Amendment, pro-Constitution, you know, whatever. Black Robe Regiment, whatever, dude. Okay? So, you would think he's a Bible believer. But I guess I never looked all that closely at what he believes and teaches. He says that because modern-day Israel was formed in turmoil, that it cannot be the Israel of the Bible which is insanity. Here is his official statement from his own website regarding the regathered nation of Israel and the modern day Jewish people. This is directly from Chuck Baldwin. Quote, I have been schooled in and personally believe and taught Israel-based Bible prophecy for over 30 years. After much prayer, deliberation, and personal study, however, I came to realize that everything I had been taught and had myself been taught on the subject was patently false. I now realize that the Zionist state of Israel created in 1948 has nothing to do with biblical Israel. Okay, so again, Chuck, boy, boy, do we have a lot of un unanswered questions then regarding the Bible, if that's the case, man. Well, no, it was, it was all fulfilled in 70 AD when Jerusalem was just all the things of Revelation and Daniel. Really? Seriously? <laughs> really? <laughs> you got to be out of your mind. I mean, that is insane. But that's what preterism teaches. Again, something that you would never, ever in a million years come to your conclusion on on your own. But if I really believe if you start to have an inherent hatred of Israel, you're going to look for ideologies. You're going to look for cultic belief systems that fit, that, that fit your mindset. Maybe justify your hatred of Israel. I don't know what else to think. I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, there's got to be some reason. And it's demons, for sure. Because God sure didn't lead him in that direction. With a statement, with this statement, he has placed himself in the same category as other anti-Semitic false teachers like Stephen Anderson and Tex Mars, R.C. Sproul, others. Looks like you've been inducted into the Laodicean Hall of Shame, and it only gets worse from here. Here's a small sample of Chuck Baldwin's anti-Semitic ramblings. Chuck Baldwin had a vision. This is a video about how the Lord opened Dr. Baldwin's eye. The Lord. I, I love it when people tell me, God. Well, you better really make sure it's God that revealed that to you. Because if God revealed it to you, it's going to line up with the word of God. And unfortunately, what he was supposedly revealed to by God doesn't even remotely line up with the word of God. So therefore, I know God never revealed it to him. Now, the God of this world, Satan did. More specifically, one or a number of his devils did. That's why we got to guard against pride. Pride goeth before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. I'm just telling you, 
because a lot of the people that have commented on the way Chuck goes over this, there's a very pride-filled um, spirit when it comes to this subject. And, I mean, if you don't go along with this in his church, you're basically going to either fall in line or be bullied or browbeat or whatever from what the feedback I'm seeing on this. I mean, this is such a huge issue. It's not just some little thing. But how the Lord opened Dr. Baldwin's eyes to the false Israel-based prophecy teaching and the fallout he received after changing his position. I'm not going to go into it anymore, but evidently he had a vision. Oh, really? Like a dream and a vision? What we talked about last week? The dreamers dream, dream, and they prophesied lies, and they, yeah. You know, if your vision isn't lining up with the word of God, then God didn't show it to you. I've never based my things off visions or dreams that I've had in this ministry. So guess what, Chuck? Guess you don't know as much Bible as you think you do. Because if you did, you would clearly see that Israel would be regathered in the last days in turmoil. So much turmoil, in fact, that it leads directly to the time of Jacob's trouble. The Bible clearly shows us that when Israel is regathered, it is, a, it is an unbelief and turmoil, which is exactly what happened have you not read any of the scriptures chuck read it and weep um weep over your apostasy and repent of it so here's a couple verses god promises to regather israel in the last days jeremiah 29 14 quote out of the kjv these are all kjv verses and i will be found of you saith the lord and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all nations and from all places whither I have driven you. Now, that's what happened after Jesus wasn't here, and after the apostles. 70 AD, I guess you could, they were scattered to, to the four corners or whatever. That was, you know, kind of like the beginning of their chastisement. Because of what they had, how they had not chosen their Lord and Savior. They had rejected him. Well, there was a price to pay. I will gather you from all nations and from all the places whither I have driven you. Saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place whence I caused, whence I caused you to be carried away captive. That was Israel. Well, Jeremiah 29, 14. Then Ezekiel eleven seventeen. There therefore say, Thus saith the Lord God, I will even gather you from the people and assemble you out of the countries wherein ye have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. Now they don't have the full land. They got I mean, because if you actually look at the actual biblical land, it's a lot it's larger, but they are there. They got Jerusalem. I, I described to you, you know, it's two, about roughly two times the size of, of Rhode Island, but it happened. So what do we make of this? It's quite simple, actually. The Bible shows us that Israel would be dispersed, which happened around 70 AD. The Jews were driven out of the land and, and sent literally to the four corners of the earth. Then, in 1933, a perfect type of Antichrist shows up, Adolf Hitler, and tried to pathologically wipe out the entire race of the Jews. Hitler achieved 50% of his stated goal. This led to Israel being regathered officially on May 14, 1948. There's all links to all these things I'm talking about. But this was a physical regathering only. 
not a spiritual one. So because of that, the Bible tells us in both Testaments that Israel will go through the time of Jacob's trouble, otherwise known as the Great Tribulation, because of their unbelief and because they crucified the Son of God, you know, and said, let his blood be upon us and our children. I've done a whole teaching on that called the biblical cause for Israel's affliction. You can just key in affliction or you'll, you'll find it. It's, a, it's an old one, but... At that time period will end when, with the Jews finally recognizing Jesus Christ as their Savior, which is what is described in Zechariah 12 and 13, which I just gave you the verses. And I, I, again, I'm glad I had this because I, I added those verses to this so you could get a lot more clarity on where the Bible actually says that. All of the turmoil that Chuck Baldwin says proves regathered Israel is a fraud is actually proof that God is God's hand is actually doing it. Why? Because that is how the Bible says it will be in the last days. Now, Chuck Baldwin seems unable to grasp these simple teachings of Scripture. And as such, he now, he now comes not only after the Jews in Israel, but also against Christians who believe the Bible and the facts about Israel and the Jews we just covered. I do not love the Jews because they are the most lovable people. They can be quite difficult at times, and yes, most of them do not like Christians. But that is neither here nor there. God is going to discipline them, but he still loves them. And I think I proved everything this guy's saying in the previous Bible verses. They're still beloved for the Father's sake. Which is good enough for me, so I love them too. Amen. Not only that, the Bible also tells me that when Jesus Christ returns at the end of the tribulation, he will set up his 1,000 uh, year kingdom literally, visibly, and actually in Israel. Again, good enough for me. And then 2 Chronicles 6, 6 says, But I have chosen Jerusalem that my name might be there, and I've chosen David to be over my people Israel. And again, David's in heaven right now with Jesus and he's going to play a big part in the millennium regarding Israel so now let's go further so we covered that what is this replacement theology also called supersessionism I wasn't even aware of that term but yeah supersessionism this is also what Chuck Baldwin teaches replacement theology essentially teaches that the church has been replaced has replaced Israel in God's plan. Adherents of replacement theology believe the Jews are no longer biblically relevant and God does not have specific future plans for the nation of Israel. Among the different views of the relationship between the church and Israel are the church has replaced Israel, which is replacement theology, um, and or the church is an expansion of Israel, which is covenant theology. Replacement theology teaches that the church is the replacement for Israel and that many the many promises made to Israel in the Bible, and we're talking like Old Testament, are fulfilled in the Christian church, not in Israel. Again, I, I can't even imagine trying to... It's, it's like trying to, to shove a square peg through a round hole constantly to try to do this, what they're describing here. It's crazy. Um... The prophecies in scripture concerning the blessing and restoration of Israel to the promised land are to them spiritualized or allegorized allegorized into promises of God's blessing for the church. 
Major problems exist with this view, such as the continuing existence of the Jewish population throughout the centuries, and especially with the revival of the modern state of Israel. Yeah, it's like this 900-pound gorilla in the room that you've got to just keep ignoring over and over. Well, that's not anything to do with the Israel the Bible talks about. The Bible that's going to be regathered in the end times and where the Bible talks about it in Daniel and Revelation and Matthew 24 and, you know, all that stuff and all the places in the Old and New Testament. It has nothing to do with that. I mean... That's like cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, if, you, if you've heard that expression. You've got to have somebody brainwashing you about that to believe it. Because you're not going to come to that conclusion on your own. If Israel has been condemned by God and there's no future for the Jewish nation, how do we explain the supernatural survival of the Jewish people over the last 2,000 years, despite the many attempts to destroy them? How do we explain how and why Israel reappeared as a nation in the 20th century after not existing for 1900 years? I'm sure that you could go on and on and on. I wouldn't have anything to do with Chuck Baldwin's heresy. The view that Israel and the church are different is clearly taught in the New Testament. Biblically speaking, the church is distinct from Israel, and the terms church and Israel are never to be confused or to be used interchangeably. We are taught from Scripture that the church is an entirely new creation that came into being on the day of Pentecost. The church has no relationship to the curses and or blessings for Israel. The covenants, promises, and warnings of the Mosaic covenant were valid only for Israel. Yeah, amen. Amen. This isn't hard, guys. This is just kind of basic stuff. Bible study. Is God done with the Jews? Now, I read you the last portions of, um, was it? let me just look at this real quick here. I, I, laid, I read you Romans 11, 25 through 28. And that was where it says, it, it ends by saying that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. Okay. And so all Israel shall be saved. Okay. And that's where it also says that's concerning the gospel. They're enemies for your sake, but it's touching the election. They're beloved for the Father's sake. Well, now let me read you the first verses regarding that chapter because it just flowed better. Let's start at verse 11, Romans 11, verse 11. I say, have they stumbled that they should fall? What is this in context to? Well, if you read the whole chapter, it's in context to the unbelieving Jews. Okay. So it says, have they, meaning the Jews, stumbled that they should fall? What does the next verse say? The next line. God forbid. But rather, through their salvation, through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles. Now, if God was done with the Jews, why would it have this verse? Have they stumbled that they should fall? The Bible says God forbid. Meaning God's not done with the Jews. But rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Verse 13, for I speak to the Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, meaning he's trying to provoke the Jews because they're his flesh, his, his um, race, or not race, but 
the genealogy or whatever, the Jews, to bro basically to provoke them to jealousy, which are my flesh, and and might save some of them. Hopefully, some of them will get saved when they realize what's going on here. Okay, with the Lord Jesus Christ. Next verse: For if the casting away of them, meaning the Jews, be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. Because remember, you have to have the root in the ground. Okay. Little seed sprouts, it sprouts roots, and then the tree comes up and then it gives you branches. Okay. So that's important to remember for the next verse. Verse 17. And if some of the branches be broken off, what does that mean? That means that the natural branches of this tree. Remember, the Bible says Jesus came to his own, but his own received him not. He came to his own, the Jews. Okay? If some of the branches be broken off, meaning these are Jews that rightfully should have been saved, but they, they rejected Jesus Christ through unbelief. So those branches were broken off. So, let me go back. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, meaning a Gentile, probably the vast majority of my listeners, and thou, being a wild olive tree, were graft in among them. I mean, it would be like taking a wild olive tree and grafting it into a, into a tree. The, the tree is Christ Jesus. Okay? We are the branches. He is like the vine. He is the, he is the source Okay, because think about it. If a branch is broken off, it's going to die. There's a lot of Bible verses that pertain to that. You can do nothing apart from me. If, you're, if you try, you're going to be broken off and cast aside. And, you know, so you can't do anything apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. But he came to his own, his own received him not. Well, then that opened the door for the Gentiles. It says, for if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world. We are like wild olive branches if you're a Gentile and we're grafted in to the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me read that whole verse then. And if some of the branches be broken off, those are the unbelieving Jews, and thou, us believing Gentiles, being a wild olive tree, were grafted among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Meaning, if you're grafted in, you're going to be able to get the benefits of being connected to the tree, or to the vine, or to the Lord Jesus Christ. But then it says in verse 18, but boast not against the branches, meaning against the natural branches, which were the Jews. But unfortunately, for the most part, they rejected Jesus. But still, we're not supposed to boast against them. What is what is um, Baldwin doing and Anderson doing and, and Tex Mars doing and all of these guys that absolutely hate modern-day Israel vehemently? If they're not boasting against the natural branches, I don't know what they're doing. It says, boast not against the branches. But if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee.
Next verse. Thou will say then the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. That is like the epitome of beyond pride. Meaning those unbelieving devil Jews were broken off that I would actually be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ and I would be grafted into the natural olive tree. They were not worthy, but I am. I'm giving you an interpretation of what that means. It says, thou will say then the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in? Oh, that's like the, that's the epitome of pride. And pride blinds you and God hates pride about as much as anything else in, in Unless you humble yourself as a little child before the Lord Jesus Christ, you should not get, you're, you're not going to enter into the kingdom of God. No, 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 no. You don't do that. And it says it here in verse 20. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. Meaning because of uh, the unbelieving Jews that were offered salvation to the Lord Jesus Christ, but they didn't believe in Jesus Christ. They said, give us Barabbas, essentially, the murderer. Well, that's why they were broken off. It wasn't so that you could get grafted in because you were so special and so much better because of the unbelief of the Jews. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And thou standest by faith. It's always about faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Thou standest by faith, be not high-minded, but fear. Meaning, don't, don't, don't get puffed up with pride. Because you have faith and you believe. Don't, don't look down on the Jews who were broken off in unbelief. Their branches were broken off in unbelief. That's why. In other words, don't let pride come in. Now, to give you a little more context here, these verses came into my mind. John 1, 10 through 13. So, I'm sorry, 1 John 10 through 13. He, meaning Jesus, that's my comment, he was in the world and the world was made by him do you realize Jesus Christ made the universe? <laughs> top that. Nobody's going to top that one. <laughs> and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. I mean, when he, when he first came into ministry, no, nobody really did. They didn't know he was the coming awaited savior. John the Baptist was one of the first to identify that. You know, I mean, maybe other people had inclinations, strong inclinations. And then the next verse, he came unto his own. This is the verse I was quoting earlier. That's the Jews, the Israelites. And his own received him not. And that's why those branches were broken off. And that's why the blindness happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. They made their choice. His own received him not. Now, now obviously, a lot did. Some did. You look at the apostles and their converts and the Jewish ones, and then they went to more of the Gentiles, increasingly in Acts, if you read Acts. But as many of them received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. That's a term used in the New Testament exclusively as a New Testament believer. 
In the Old Testament, that term, that exact phrase, sons of God, is only used in regard to angels. It's used, I believe, four or five times. Genesis 6 and then in the, in the book of Job. I, I talk a lot about that when we talk about the sons of God, which were the angels that saw the daughters of men. They were fair. They took them wise. All, and they were fallen angels procreating with women. Anyway, side note. He gave them power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Okay, now let's go back to Romans 11, verse 21. For if God spared not the natural branches, meaning the Jews, the, the unbelieving Jews in this case, take heed lest he also spare not thee. So don't get puffed up with pride, heady and high-minded and think you're Mr. You know, I'm so special. I got saved. No, no, no. Humility is what you need to strive for. Fear of God is what you need to strive for. Thank the Lord Jesus Christ that you got saved, that he opened your eyes. And never, ever, ever go out of that mindset. Never let pride come in. Because I'm telling you, pride is, pride was the first sin of the Bible. If you think about it, first sin of the Bible was when Satan fell before Adam and Eve. He was there to tempt out of me. It had to, occur, had to happen before that. And it says, because of his beauty and because of his merchandise, his heart was lifted up. Now, there might have been other factors, but both were pride. His heart was lifted up. And then he said, I shall ascend on the sides of the, of the north. I shall be like the most high. He wanted to usurp God's God out of his own throne. That's how delusional Lucifer was. And then when he fell, he became Satan. First sin of the Bible, pride. Pride blinds you. And once you start going down that path, Chuck Baldwin and all you other so-called ministers out there teaching this garbage, you know, from what I'm seeing, once you start going down that path, your heart just becomes more and more seared. Unless you repent. And that's why it's so important to try to stay humble and, and fear God because that's the remedy. And if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Constantly stay in judgment of yourself. And I don't mean like you're condemning yourself all the, oh, I suck and I'm sorry and I'm, I'm a horrible Christian. And that's not really good because as a man thinketh, so is he. So you also want to be careful like what you're putting in, what you're telling yourself about yourself. You want to try to put it in more of a positive light, more, more of a scripturally positive light. Because if you go around self-condemning yourself all the time and calling yourself, you know, whatever, I mean, I know I have a tendency to do that. But it's also important to speak words of life even to yourself. We're going to battle the flesh to the day we die, bottom line. Doesn't give us a license to sin, but just for some context anyway um so for if god spare not the natural branches take heed lest he also not spare thee spare not thee next verse behold therefore the goodness and the severity of god on them which fell severity which were the unbelieving jews the branches that were broken off but toward thee the believing gentiles goodness now i added in the believing gentiles but that's what it means goodness if thou continue in his goodness otherwise thou shalt also be cut off 
Is that why the Bible says they that endure to the end, the same shall be saved? Yep. Well, then salvation is by works. No, it's not by works lest any man should boast, but a true Christian is going to gut it out. They're going to endure to the end, and that is evidence that they were saved and that they continued in salvation. But it's not of works lest any man should boast. you got to do it through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you think you're going to bow up to the devil and earn your own salvation, you'll, you won't have what it takes when the time comes. Worst case scenario, to put your head on that guillotine. You won't have it. You won't have the strength. Now, that's worst case scenario, or one of the worst case scenarios. I'm just saying. And again, Jesus said, pray that you be counted worthy to escape all the things coming upon this earth and to stand before the Son of Man, Matthew 24 regarding the exact times we're talking about here the times that we're moving into so that's a good thing to pray next verse romans eleven twenty three, and they also if they abide not still in unbelief meaning the unbelieving jews shall be grafted in for god is able to graft them in again awesome praise the lord jesus christ Romans 11:24 If thou were cut out of the olive tree which is wild by nature and were grafted in contrary contrary to the nature in a good olive tree how much more shall these meaning the unbelieving Jews that now believe which were the natural branches now I added in that little last part but how much more these which be the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree Yeah of course that's why we're not to boast against the Jews and take satisfaction in the fact that right now probably the vast majority of Jews that die go to hell. Why would you want to boast about that anyway? That's a horrible thing to be receive satisfaction over. And you know, I I mean I don't that doesn't even compute with me, but oh whatever. All right. So now let's go further. Chuck Baldwin is a false teacher. I'm gonna play this. Uh, some clips of this. This is a little more clarification. We all make mistakes. In fact, it is not possible for you to not make a mistake about the truth of the Bible. That's why we need mature Christians around us to show us the mistake mistakes. And by definition, even a small mistake is a form of heresy. Normally we use the term heresy to denote any theory or concept that is strongly opposed to the core teachings of the Bible. And if you want to limit yourself to that definition, that's fine. But I also know that God... I'm sorry, this video keeps hanging up on He sees the heart of everything and I believe that his definition of heresy covers a lot more than we think just as his forgiveness covers a lot more than we think as well. And yes, God will forgive you for making honest mistakes about what the Bible actually says, assuming, of course, that you're open to admonition. However, an honest mistake is one thing. Rebellion is quite really, another. Really, I think what he meant to say there more than admonition is, re is correction, as long as you're open to correction. And we're talking about Chuck Baldwin here. If you rebel against God, then you will suffer the wrath of God. The clearest verse on this 
about rebellion is here, quote, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. 1 Samuel 15.23 So, rebellion equals Satanism. Think about that. If you rebel against the commands of God, it is as if you were a worshiper of Satan in the eyes of God. And that makes perfect sense since Satan's sin was to lift himself up with pride and then rebel mm -hmm. against God. He was the first rebel and he seeks to cause us to rebel against God also. And as we look at the latest examples of Chuck Baldwin's heresy, we will find that Chuck Baldwin has rebelled against God. It gives me no pleasure to say that. I would love to be proven wrong, but a video that came out on May 23rd does not leave me with any other alternative than to proclaim him a rebel against God. Here's the video. It's called The Christian Zionist Deception with Pastor Chuck Baldwin. It's on YouTube. That is a horrifying, nauseating, and maddening video. Some of the things that Chuck Baldwin says in that interview are such obvious lies that I am shocked that he would dare to say them publicly. But now this guy is coming at it from more of a of a Christian Zionist viewpoint. I believe what I'm going to be covering here, what he's speaking is truth, but Baldwin might have covered some things in there, but again, what he's doing is throwing the baby out of the bathwater. There might be truths in there, like a lot of the stuff I've exposed on Christian Zionism, meaning are we going to blindly follow Israel because they're Israel and because we believe they're a special chosen class that can do no wrong and that they don't even have to be saved because of the blood that runs through their vein, which is called ethnic salvation? So maybe he got into some of that, but he goes too far. He throws the baby out of the bathwater and then he says, you know, gets into replacement theology and preterism and it's like whoa you've gone so far out of bounds now i don't want to get into those lies just yet i want to look at how he went wrong and he went wrong by getting one thing right and what he did afterwards should stand as an object lesson and a painful example of what not to do when you learn something new his one right thing begins at the three minute mark of that video and by the way the link will be in the uh, YouTube notes below or in the main article. But he begins at the three minute mark of the video and here's what he said, quote, all of my formal training was founded and grounded in Christian Zionism. So the only thing I knew on prophecy regarding Israel was what I was taught. So I, as a pastor, I regurgitated the, that information for the next 30 years in my church. And I believed it. I taught it. I really didn't question it. So I mean, people need to understand that I'm not a guy that came from an anti-Zionist Christian perspective. I was a guy that was actually part of that entire system for over three decades. So my process probably starts about 2007, and in about 2007 I began to be uncomfortable with the dispensational eschatology that I had been taught. Every time I mentioned it, either casually or specifically, I got this feeling in my gut that something wasn't right. I couldn't explain it. I had no idea why I was feeling that way. Because, after all, this is something I taught for over 30 years. I'm going, you know, what is this? At first I ignored it and thinking anything about it, but 
that never went away. It persisted continually. At the very thought of the very mention of the subject, I got this uneasiness in my soul. So after several months of that, I was sagacious enough to have been walking with the Lord long enough to know that when that kind of thing starts happening, that's the Holy Spirit. So I began to pray that the Lord and to the Lord and say, okay, what is this? What am I feeling? What are you wanting to teach me? So then I had to go through this whole process of being willing to unlearn a doctrine that I had been taught and that I had taught my entire life. And Adam, I've got to tell you that the hardest thing for anyone to do is not to learn something, it's to unlearn something. It takes far more effort and time to unlearn a falsehood. Than now, I've, I've given you a really good glimpse about what he was supposedly shown by God, which is preterism and replacement theology, which is just the height of insanity from a biblical standpoint. But see, Satan is the most subtle beast of the field and very good at what he does. So, again, take heed lest you fall. And, I, I mean, it just shows you how, how easy it is to become deluded. Um, I really believe when you let pride enter in. Does to learn the truth. Close quote. Chuck realized that something was wrong with his view of eschatology and the concept of the church. Deep down, he understood that there was a lot that was wrong with dispensationalism. He couldn't put a finger on it, but he sensed a deep-seated error. So he launched into a process of trying to understand what was wrong, and he was definitely on the right track. So let me go back to what he said. Quote, so my process was I had to unlearn this. I mean, you know, think about it. All these years and decades and all these teachings and Think of the notes, think of the books, think of the material that I had backing up all this perspective. You know, I mean, this was the only thing I knew relative to eschatology, was this dispensational Israel-first-based eschatology system. And so finally, I mean, we're talking probably at least a year or more, I came to this point, I said, okay, Lord, I want to know the truth. You're obviously trying to show me that I'm not understanding truth as I should, so I need to know. So I deliberately put aside all my books, all my classroom notes, all the videos, all the everything that I had been taught by man relative to this subject. I deliberately set it aside. I didn't look at it. I didn't read any of it. Nothing. I did not look at any man's... I, I didn't look at what, you know, what the preterists said. I didn't look at what the post-millennial said. I didn't look at anybody else's version of eschatology. I didn't look at anything along those lines. I just made a conscious decision that I was going to search the scriptures alone. I was going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to show me truth and trust God to do that strictly through the study of his word. And that's what I did for the next several years. I just got into his word and poured over the scriptures without any human instrumentality to assist me and then praying to God to lead me through the scriptures." Close quote. That is a pretty good way of going about this kind of thing. I had a similar process of awakening 20 plus years ago and did something similar. I submitted myself to the words of the Bible and allowed those words alone to guide me out of the foolishness that I had believed and had been taught to believe. Unfortunately, his reaction was different from my own. Here is how he reacted. Quote, and as I began to go through the scriptures with this open mind that I had, this new open mind that I had, and I got to tell you that 
it was shocking because I came to realize pretty soon in this process that everything I had been taught relative to Christian Zionism, which they don't even like to call themselves that for the most part, but the whole Israel-based doctrinal positions of prophecy was a lie. It was falsehood. It was totally untrue. Once I came to that realization, the shock to my system was terrific. I mean, it was just, oh my God, I spent the last three decades espousing a lie, teaching a lie, telling other people an untruth. I got to tell you that... Now, I agree that Christian Zionism is deceitful. And I've been exposing it, like I said, over and over again. But he's went to the other, other extreme and totally thrown the baby out of the bathwater with replacement theology and preterism. So, it's, it's just he went way too far. That's a humbling and humiliating thought that here I am, a seeker of truth, wanting to more than anything, wanting to know truth, wanting to teach truth, responsible for the souls of the people that I deliver truth to, and here I wake up to the reality that for 30 years I had taught a falsehood. Man, oh man, I got to tell you that that caused such a remorse and and such a humiliation of my heart and mind, and I begged God for weeks and months to forgive me, and what do I do now? Close quote. To boil down his reaction to one sentence, he was embarrassed. Yes, I know that he couched his response in godly language, but you can tell that it was not a godly response because of what he says later in this interview. A godly response does not turn to lies to assuage feelings of embarrassment. A godly response does not twist what is good and seek to defame the innocent. Nor does a godly response seek to mislabel the mistakes of others. Furthermore, instead of carefully and patiently letting God teach him the truth, he rushed, after he realized he had been wrong, he rushed into preterism. He could have waited for the other pieces of the puzzle to fall into place, but he didn't. He was embarrassed. He was ashamed of himself. His pride was offended. So he felt the need to turn on... Now, we're going to get into a detailed explanation of what preterism is next. ...or turn against what he thought of as the source of his embarrassment, Israel. Instead of patiently seeking to understand Israel's place in eschatology, he threw everything labeled Israel into a box mm -hmm. and called that box the church. Right. Instead of seeing that the Old Testament is still awash in prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled, right. he chose instead to close the Old Testament and forget that it has anything to say about our future and the future of Israel. Replacement theology was an easy way out of his embarrassing position, so he grabbed it with both hands and spoon-fed it to his congregation. And when you see the videos of him preaching this abomination to his congregation, you can see the pride in his voice and body language. Okay, now I'm going to jump ahead just for another uh, little over three-minute clip here, and then we'll get on to preterism. Not deserve. Oh, and just as I was about to publish this article and record this video, Chuck came up with this whopper of a sermon. It's called, Christian, Your Allegiance to is to Christ, Not Faux Israel, by Dr. Chuck Baldwin on June... Faux means fake, meaning he does not acknowledge that... Again, I've said this, they have any... There's no biblical relevance for whatever the occupants are of the state of Israel right now. They're, they're, they have nothing to do with the Bible. They're foe. 
They're fake. Second, 2019. It's a YouTube video. The first 15 minutes are correct. If you believe in following the law, you are in deep, deep trouble I with agree. God. I agree. It is idolatry to pick up the ceremonial law of the Old Testament. Yep. Never do that. Yep. And, bald and then I've done, I don't know how many teachings on the Hebrew Roots movement. Just keep Hebrew Roots and you'll see all my teachings I've done on that. You know, absolutely scripturally warning and debunking that whole thing, that whole mess. And is right to criticize the dispensationalists for believing that the ceremonial law of the Old Testament will return. But around the 20 minute mark, he goes straight into the foul and horrible heresy of replacement theology. It is right for him to be against the Judaizers, but for him to preach replacement right. theology, right. wow. Please, remember that we are the wild olive branches that were grafted in. Amen. In place of the natural... just read those verses. ...branches. Paul specifically spoke against replacement theology in Romans 11. Yes. I am tempted to quote the relevant parts, but I've already gone... Well, I already... I just did that for you too long. So please read Romans 11 yourself. Amen. The point is that God will bring Israel back to himself in Christ. You don't have to understand why. I don't really get all of it myself, mm -hmm. but that doesn't matter. God has proclaimed the return of the descendants of Jacob in the last days. It will be a sign and a wonder. He said that it would happen. Therefore it will. Amen. So, to usurp the place of Israel and to boast against Israel like Chuck is doing here is a sin. Yes. Paul rebukes Dr. Baldwin directly in Romans 11. And I am appalled that Chuck would be so foolish as to directly speak against the words of Paul. He quotes Galatians on the one hand, but speaks against the words of Paul in the book of Romans. Now, again, I just read you those verses about boast not against the wild, the, the natural branches. If you boast the, you know, the, basically it's saying you better not boast, you better not do this because you yourself can easily become a castaway. You, you go down that road, in other words. You yourself can be broken off and, and cast away like they were. So, <laughs> just saying, it's not something you want to do. Very, very dangerous Scripturally speaking, I just read you those. Now, the verses are in the PDF for this teaching. Okay? So, not something I want to mess around with. <laughs> That's called fear of God. Okay? Whew. Okay, let's let's round this out. Preterism debunked. Some believers insist that most Bible prophecy was fulfilled in 70 AD at the destruction of the Jewish temple. We must ask, then... When was Jerusalem surrounded by the armies of all nations? Okay, like we just talked about in Zechariah. Okay, because they, they believe all the Bible prophecy was fulfilled in 70 AD. We just read you the verses in Zechariah where about Jerusalem being surrounded and God coming and protecting them. And around the same time they get their eyes opened regarding Jesus. Yeah. And when did Christ's feet touch the Mount of Olives? Because that's happens after armageddon when did that all happen chuck when did he begin to reign over the world from jerusalem with a rod of iron i i must have missed that 
That's what I mean about preterism. It's such a joke. And for him to say, oh, I searched the scriptures and sought God and prayed, and you hear those types of things, and you're thinking, well, he's a better Christian than I am. Who am I to whatever? Yeah, but what was he supposedly shown? Preterism? Replacement theology? All damnable heresies just about? No, Chuck. No. Sorry. You were you were deluded and deceived. Did those who had pierced did those who have pierced him, meaning Jesus, look upon and recognize him as their Messiah, weep and mourn and believe on him? I just read you those verses in Zechariah 12. Just so happens he's saying them here too. <laughs> yeah. Was Israel established in 70 AD in her land then? Never to be removed again? Because these are all the things that would happen after Armageddon, after the siege of Jerusalem, Armageddon, and then Jesus comes back. No, I don't remember any of that happening. Well, it hasn't. Can we seriously believe that Zechariah 12, 13, 14, a lot of that I read you today, Jeremiah 36 through 12, read you those, uh, Jeremiah um, uh, uh, 31, verses 27 through 40, uh, and then also 32 verses 37 through 44, Ezekiel 37 through 40, and scores of other like prophecies were all fulfilled in 70 AD, Chuck? And to any other preterist out there? And if not, how and by what authority can we apply such prophecies to the church? Guys, I'm telling you, this preterism replacement theology is the height of of insanity it is crazy I, it's just it's I, I can't even wrap my head around how anybody could go down that road unless they were just brainwashed into believing that yes there are a growing number of those who promote preterism or amillennialism um whether they are Calvinists, Charismatics, or something else, they share common beliefs that are worthy of concern. So, the, the, just so you know it, um, amillennialism is, teaches that there will be no millennial reign, basically the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ on earth. Amillennialists interpret... Now, I don't know if he believes that too. I, I, preterism and replacement theology, we know for sure. But if you believe that everything was fulfilled in 70 AD, then the thousand-year reign of Christ had to have started then. Which, if you think about it, we would already be through because we're in the year, you know, 2021. We would already been through that. It's just, oh, I just don't even understand how anybody could fall for this stuff. With, especially a pastor like that. I understand like a newbie Christian that's brainwashed from the beginning. I get that. That's how that's how people get indoctrinated into cults. But somebody like this guy who'd been a pastor for all these years and then he falls into this? Pride is the only thing I can think. Amillennialists interpret the thousand year reign of Christ symbolically to either refer to a temporary bliss of souls in heaven before the next before the general resurrection or do infinite bliss of the righteous after the general resurrection whatever that garbage means 
okay so in christian eschatology it doesn't it does not hold that jesus christ will physically reign on earth for a thousand years okay so they don't believe the bible in other words okay so just more absolute insanity okay so um do we really believe that in ad 770 the year 70 years okay ad 70 saw the greatest tribulation in the history of the world like you know we're supposed to go in the seven-year tribulation even greater than the slaughter of the jews and christians under hitler stalin and mao okay that christ came visibly like lightning flashing across the sky according to matthew 24 27 that the sun was darkened and the moon didn't give her light these are all things like in revelation and in daniel and these types of signs that that the sign of the son of man appeared in heaven that he sent his angels to gather together his elect from the four winds um these are all just different bible verses they're citing and that so are we in the millennium now well we would have already been past a thousand years from that point but are we in the millennium now, Chuck? Is Satan bound like he should be? Is Christ the king now ruling over the earth and turning the world into a paradise like in the millennial reign? Is he ruling from Jerusalem with a rod of iron, Chuck? None of this stuff happened. It will. Do you see why I'm calling this a damnable heresy? horrible none of these things can be said to have taken place unless these scriptures are twisted and spiritualized or whatever as the as the old hymn goes tis so sweet to trust in jesus just to take him at his word <laughs> like whatever the bible says just to rest upon his promise just to know thus saith the lord yeah amen that's why I don't agonize over stuff like this. <laughs> just take the Bible at its word. The last little thing here, um, the folly of preterism. And this is a, a broadcast you can listen to. I'll just give you like the, um, I don't know, the little description of it. This is In this program, we disprove the dangerous belief system known as preterism, espoused by many popular Christian leaders today, including R.C. Sproul, Hank Hanegraaff, and now even Dr. Chuck Baldwin who take an allegoric approach to the scriptures rather than a literal one to teach that the entire book of Revelation and Christ's prophecies of his return in Matthew 24, and I would imagine Daniel too, have already been fulfilled. And in fact, were fulfilled in the first century AD with the destruction of the um, Jerusalem and the temple and the replacement of the national Israel with the church as the bride of Christ. I, I just... I, all I can do is shake my head over this. And who therefore teach that Bible prophecy is irrelevant in our time and can be ignored. Oh, Chuck, I pray you repent of your sins. You and all the people out there doing this. One last little report here uh, before I go. I, I don't know how long I'm going to be able to go tonight, guys. I'm losing altitude pretty bad and... It's about 12 o'clock and I'm, I'm only about through two parts i'm going to try to do another but i've got so much to cover um that i know i'm not going to get through but anyway um this just broke this week may 20th 
A federal judge ruled Wednesday that students of the opposite sex must be allowed to share shower facilities and dorms at a Christian college in Missouri. Communal showers at a Christian college because some black-robed devil bound for hellfire says so. Judge Roseanne Ketchmark ruled against the College of the Ozarks, a Christian college that had sued President Joe Biden's administration over its transgendered policies. The college had challenged a January 20th executive order preventing schools from denying children access to the bathrooms of their choosing. Women shouldn't, women shouldn't be forced to share private spaces, including showers and dorm rooms with males in religious schools, shouldn't be punished simply because of their beliefs about biological sex. Julie Marie Blake, a senior counsel for the Alliance Defending Freedom, told reporters following the ruling that, quote, the Biden administration's overreach continues to victimize women, girls, and people of faith by gutting their legal protections, and it must be stopped, she continued. Yeah, amen to that. Yeah. All right. Um, probably what I'm either going to do tonight is I'm going to either shut it down now and just pick this up tomorrow and that way i can get the whole teaching out i just might be a day late on getting it all out so i'm gonna go ahead and stop here and we will see you in part three next god bless you